0: The rapid growth of the internet economy over recent years has ushered in a new frontier in the ongoing battle between the world's biggest superpowers, that of data protection. With data being hailed by some as the oil of the 21st century, the battle between states and between companies is not just to see who can collect the most data, but also increasingly to see who can best protect their data from being collected by rival governments and market competitors. I'm Vincent Chow, a reporter at China Law & Practice and host of the China Law Podcast, a weekly podcast exploring China's business and financial sectors from a legal perspective. With me today to discuss how broader competition between China and the rest of the world is shaping China's cross-border data protection regime is Dr. Bo Zhao, a senior research fellow at the Tilburg University School of Law in the Netherlands. Bo's research covers comparative data privacy protection law, especially cross-border data protection and cybersecurity law and policy issues in China. In this episode, Bo draws on his comparative research background to share insights on China's rules and regulations surrounding the cross-border transfer of data and how they compare with other jurisdictions, including the EU and the US. Moreover, we discuss what limits there are on the Chinese government to access data stored in China by Chinese and foreign companies. Bo, welcome to the China Law Podcast.
1: Thank you for having me here.
0: Let's start with a general overview of the history of China's data protection regime. I guess that even experienced China lawyers themselves might not be all that familiar with the history of the China's data protection laws. So can you briefly summarize what has happened and when they happened?
1: Thanks for the initial. That's really important for people who are not in privacy data protection area. Uh, those people, those scholars they need to know that in China, privacy as a modern legal concept is note that uh, in the culture and in the law uh, compared with the US, uh, which has a, a more than one century tradition from the earlier uh, 20th century, that China personally, I think that the data protection and uh, personal information, this whole bunch of new ideas uh, grew up after the uh, 1980s, the China's opening reform policy, uh, in particular with China's entering into the internet age. Uh, with the internet, Uh, and the ICT technologies rolling out in China, gradually you see the rise of the data privacy law development step by step, very gradually. Uh, What really starts, uh, the the kicking point is uh, 2010, uh, that you have a a landmark, uh, or I would say it's really kicking off uh, legislation called uh, 2010 Total Liability Law, right? So, which clearly states the protection of the right to privacy, total liability of infringing civil rights of interests a network, and also emphasize the protection of confidentiality, protection of the uh, patients of Medicare services. And since 2013, it has really started. It is really uh, trying to pick it up with the data protection uh, law development. So, we can see a uh, uh, yes, a very sharp rise on that, in that area. So I won't go into too much detail so these uh, concrete regulations, but it's good for the uh, audience to know that uh, it's really a gradual uh, process.
0: Let's talk about the PRC cybersecurity law, which was enacted in 2016 and is seen by many as a landmark law for da- China's data protection regime. Just how significant was this law in your view? Actually, I would
1: call it the landscape legislation because it's a very really complex, a uh, comprehensive legislation, a milestone that uh, combined uh, network security, combined national security, combined data protection and privacy protection in the context of network security. It's actually a combination or mixture of different things. So uh, many scholars and lawyers criticize this law, saying it's too much a, a constraint restriction on data flow uh, overseas, uh, inbound and outbound, also too much government control of the network operators, uh, unlimited uh, access to uh, network operators' held data. But that's true, definitely. But you have to notice that uh, this is a uh, Chinese law. This is a Chinese legal context, right? So you need to compare it with the previous legislations and look at the progress it has made. Uh, but but yes, you have to compare it with the past and also with other countries, of course. Uh, but I would like to say this is really a landmark uh, legislation and really uh, pop up uh, a boast of the data protection and privacy in the field. So it's a starting point. And of course, it's, it's not that high, but it really kicks off.
0: Right. And certainly that's something we'll be doing throughout today's episode as well, which is to compare various aspects of China's data protection regime with other jurisdictions. So let's first discuss the main topic of today, which is the cross-border transfer of data, something that has received a lot of attention in China and has been criticized uh, in China for being overly strict. So let's start with the transfer of data from inside China to the outside. Um, And I guess the key issue here is data localization.
1: Uh, Yes, yes. So uh, I think this is a whole uh, uh, very important issue in the uh, cybersecurity law, uh, because uh, Article 37 requires critical information infrastructure facilities to store locally citizens' personal information and important data that has been collected or generated during business operations in China. Okay, so any offshore storage of processing requires a security assessment by the state council to determine whether sufficiently legitimate business uh, reasons exist. So basically, if you don't go through that, uh, Official assessment: You want, you're not allowed to transfer data overseas. So there are significant corporate and individual penalties in, involved for non-compliance. So uh, this this is really uh, a or how to say uh, build a big wall, yeah, a big obstacle for the. Uh, uh, foreign companies who are operating in China and also for Chinese companies who might go over, go uh, expanding overseas over market.
0: What is the underlying principle behind this strict wall that's been put up?
1: So this this is actually something I mean a aftermatch of the famous Snowden revelation which shocked the world.
0: So that's the infamous uh, US whistleblower Edward Snowden who leaked information about US surveillance efforts in
1: 2013. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that actually shows uh, Chinese okay and not only the uh, ordinary people elites also the politicians that what you are really under monitor you <laughs> are so the, the 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 instinct for uh, the leader okay for the uh, legislator is okay let's keep our data at home yeah let's keep it here uh, with our uh, in our position it will be safe yeah so we need to reject uh, transfer data overseas at least. Yeah. So we have we need to have more scrutiny. Yeah. And I think that that is one major reason, uh, the more primitive reason. But there are other uh, underlying um, uh, motivations or values there. Like for example, if we could keep keep our data at home, then we might have a data hosting uh, industry growing up. Yeah. So for economy reasons. Also for uh, law enforcement reasons, because yeah, if we have data at home in China, then we could have access to this data uh, during the course of a crime investigation. Yeah, Uh, national security uh, issues. Then yeah, we have data there. We we can go go for that. Yeah. So a couple a couple of underlying reasons here.
0: And how unique is this data localization? Um, This is something that China has gotten a lot of flack for uh, with. Many foreign companies, especially critical of what they see as overly restrictive rules uh, surrounding the flow of data. Um, but are there similar rules in other jurisdictions?
1: Uh, yes, definitely. Yes. So um, uh, you, you see this data localization uh, thing a phenomena in other countries as well. But it's you know, the question is to which extent? Yeah. Uh, uh, to which extent it happens? So some countries like. Uh, uh, some european countries uh, they restrict some uh, overseas transfer uh, with regard to a particular category of data like healthcare care data government health data uh, and other uh, usually the financial data or banking data won't be allowed to be transferred overseas yeah with uh, with rare exceptions and uh, i would like to say also okay just give you one example okay like Bulgaria, Poland, and Romania requires records of gambling winnings and the user trans- transaction to be stored locally. Very strange regulation. And probably f- uh, for anti-money laundering. And some European countries require government records to be stored locally. That's really understandable, like Denmark, right? And also UK uh, for the NHS care, healthcare data and the Netherlands for all the public records. So Australia requires electronic health records to be stored locally. So there's some examples. But it, yeah, it happened, not only in China, also in other countries. So the, question, the big big question is, okay, to which extent? How much? Yeah.
0: Right. So perhaps data localization isn't unique to China, but the extent to which China is pursuing it is unique amongst uh, all the countries today.
1: I uh, Also, I was a reading scholar in the US, Pennsylvania for half a year so. Uh, If I I look at it from a more neutral way, from an outsider way, that I think China, compared with the European, with the U.N. and U.S., is a bit scared of the uh, technology uh, advances of the U.S. Yeah, Uh, Because when you are the weaker party, you tend to protect yourself with more... uh, uh, measures so that's that's really i wanted to make one point here because uh okay if you compare China's, okay close the door close my data to the outside world and hold it here uh, that approach uh, with the u.s approach okay the why the u.s act definitely is a minimum uh, minimum uh list approach market oriented okay because it is it, it has so many digital genes right uh, with a lot of advanced technologies uh ai whatever they're on the front line, uh, they are operating globally, and they have the data. They uh, they have the power. So the U.S. government is backing up these companies to go over the world. So any uh, data localization efforts of re- legislation will be regarded as a trade barrier. Because yeah, why should why should the U.S. government insist on data localization? Their their companies have the data. But I I would be uh, look at China. 10 years later, 20 years later, the Chinese state or government would be confident because China might have 10 tick, uh, TikTok, 10 Huawei, so less data flow. So so while well, well in between the U- European Union, okay, European Union is a big market, uh, it's it's the protection law, it's more fundamental right-oriented, yeah, right-protection right protection oriented. So actually, my observation right now is that the EU doesn't have that much a big digital uh, genes operating, it does not have its own data, but, but, the problem, but it's use a higher bar, a higher standard uh, in data protection to leverage uh, its market uh, force, okay? To, to get a bargain, good bargain with the US companies, right? You, if you look at how much money they have been found, Google, Facebook, so you could understand that, that, that point. So it's, it's a, okay, it's a weapon, weaponized a bit more instrumental use.
0: Very interesting to hear you talk about data being weaponized. Um, I'd like to hear what your assessment is then of how the development of data protection laws and regulations in China and the EU and the US are interacting with the broader power struggles between these uh, major powers.
1: So thanks. That's a really great point. because what I would like to make that point uh, in a bigger context by introducing the two concepts that uh, I have developed in part uh, this year. The one is the data power. The second is re- regime computation. So why are they are two together? So the data power we could define as the uh, institutions of a. Uh, Engine's capacity to collect, process, store, and use of deployed data for economic, political, and uh, uh, social societal purposes. Right. If if you look at the the competition, the trade war between China and the uh, EU, or between ch- more further for more fierce between uh, China and the US. So uh, definitely, note it's a trade war, but actually, it's tech war. Right. So actually. Under the table, under the table of the tech war is the data war. So why the US is so angry with TikTok? Yes, TikTok has some good AI and managing style of Chinese culture. but This has more data definitely on the US market. So this national security is a big concern. But I really... I'm dubious about how substantial the uh, national security concern would be, but but it shows the potential that when you have a lot of data, even a lot of companies have a Chinese uh, con- connection, all localized, right? Data location, uh, the data storage, uh, employees, management, uh, registration, so all Americans, uh, all in uh, America, but it's not just have a Chinese, con- uh, it has a connection to China, so that's that's a bit something in there, but 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 okay, so. This is not clear if you only look at take but if you look at Huawei, it's much, much clearer because Huawei has 5G technology. Yeah. So uh, the rollout of 5G means that uh, for this company, for this corporate, it, it will have more data, log data. right? So it it, it understands how the future network works. And um, it's a tech wall, it's a data wall. Okay. If you look at the big picture that China's uh, big chains overseas expansion, not only in the U.S. but also India market. TikTok's expansion there. TikTok appears also in Europe, uh, in Netherlands, in U.K. Young people like that, right? So, so I, I, how, how much? It showcases the, uh, the 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 recent tech potential. Yeah, you see the background picture now, uh, because TikTok TikTok developed from a uh, Chinese um, data governance. Corporate governance style, right? It's not typical uh, American way, right? So even it couldn't be, uh, it's very competitive uh, against uh, Facebook and Twitter, and if you look at uh, WeChat as well. So yeah, so it's it's not about the uh, one or two companies. It's about the economic, uh, political, legal regime. So that I think Pompeo might be right in, in that sense that it's a competition between two real games, but I don't think the ideology of a political uh, communist against the capitalist definitely not. It's about two styles of economic growth, right? A tech development style, whether it's a government uh, supported, yeah, a government substituted, or it's a free market uh, development style. So uh, the, the other thing I would like really to emphasize on is that uh, when China, when the Chinese uh, government uh, have uh, will have more data, so it could manage a big scale economy, a data-driven economy, by having access to corporate-held data. So th- th- that is a big issue because that is almost impossible in Europe.
0: And that's a good time to bring up the issue of Chinese governments' access to data collected and held by Chinese companies. Um, which is certainly a very sensitive topic. In your view, what are the limits on the Chinese government in this regard?
1: Legally speaking, very limited uh, restriction from government access. I would say, uh, practically almost none. And we can dissemble. Uh, we can okay talk talk about this in two things. Okay, when it conf- concerns crime investigation, law enforcement activities, definitely. Uh, private corporates will give data voluntarily because it's good for public uh, safety, for public goods. But when it concerns, okay, we, we, we have new governmental purposes. Okay, The government wants to have access to data to monitor the, the market, to monitor these corporates. They're not happy with it. <laughs> yeah. Why they're not happy with it? It increases their operating costs. It's a lot of money, a lot of human power. And it could cause their losing the competitive uh, technological advantages, because who knows whom the government will give the data to, yeah? But there's a uh, duty for these network operators to report their operating data to the government, okay? According to the new cybersecurity law and also the new e-commerce law. And in addition to the crime investigation, whatever law enforcement activities involved, and that's, that's that's one one big one sad story is that uh, according to one of my friends in China who surveyed that many of the privacy policies from this Huang Wangyi, Taobao, whatever this
0: right. So those are Chinese e-commerce sites.
1: Yeah, they uh, they will not let you know when they give your data to the government for for crime investigation. They will not in, notify you. So some some companies are really reluctant to do so because okay, let's 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 talk about. Okay. which which government request you're talking about? Okay, which corporate you're talking about? Okay, I I could imagine that when they uh, when the local government from Shanxi province or so from uh, one small province ask Alibaba or Huawei to give some data, they might just ignore it. Yeah. So, but it, when when the request is from uh, uh, Hangzhou city, yeah, from the government. I know from Guangzhou, uh, uh, the government.
0: Right, so you're talking about big tier one cities.
1: And I I, I would say this big copies have to worry about their reputation when they so easily give their data to anyone who asks them. But I would like to add something uh, very seasoning that is not always all this uh, data. Uh, this copies will give data to a local place. Okay, I think years ago there was a... Uh, a murder case in uh, Wenzhou in southeast China. So uh, the Chinese uh, version of uh, Uber called a Didi. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, on the platform, there one driver uh, raped and murdered a a lady. Right? But the lady before her death, he sent out uh, through her mobile phone this uh, SOS message to her friends. What happened later on? Do could you understand that? When the police even involved, asking the uh, platform to give up. Uh, to give up the driver's uh, person data to cooperate in uh, crime investigation. Uh, The answer is we we need to protect the privacy of the uh, driver.
0: Okay, so then that's the situation for domestic companies. Um, Is it the same for foreign companies in China? Would they be less obligated to share data with the Chinese government um, if the government requests it? Uh, Basically, it
1: used to be the case that foreign companies traded differently because of the uh, foreign investment law regulation that requires that a foreign company to report, yeah, to cooperate uh, separately from. But I, I, I personally, I think they, they might be at least equally treated or even uh, even treated in, in February. Yeah. Uh, because when they fight back, uh, the, the, the police, the local police or the uh, security industry needs to give them reasons. yeah, uh, Need to give a reason. But no, this won't happen to uh, local uh, corporates. Not the case. But, uh, but, but now, I think two years, uh, I think since last year when the trade war started, so yeah, they're treated equally.
0: Right. So if we're talking about Apple or Microsoft or another massive foreign company, they might be able to resist those requests, uh, but it will probably be more difficult for a smaller foreign firm in China. Well, let's look forward a bit more now and discuss what we might expect to see in the coming few years um, in China's data protection regime. Um, for you as an academic with considerable expertise in Chinese laws, um, who works at a university in the EU, do you think China sees the EU's GDPR as a model to adapt?
1: Yeah, definitely. So it's uh, GDPR is really influential, not only among uh, Chinese uh, big data genes or corporates or local companies, but also among scholars and legislators. I knew a couple of uh, uh, legislators uh, who could be influential in, in picking in a small circle, they really prove GDPR, <laughs> which which I personally think is not a good thing. And why is that? In that sense, the fundamental right could be used uh, as a weapon against a uh, stronger competitor. Yeah. Yeah. One of the big complaints in Europe uh, among the entrepreneurs and also uh, uh, business starters is that the law is too strict. It's too expensive. Yeah, you, you don't have a strong economy. You, you don't have a big good growing uh, data driving economy. How would you go forward? I mean, so everything needs money, right? <laughs> everything needs money. <laughs> and the privacy protection is really very expensive.
0: Right. So, you, uh, so companies' compliance costs will shoot up because they have to appoint data protection officers, for example, which is a requirement of the GDPR. And they also have to take on uh, teams for monitoring compliance and they have to spend time and money dealing with government investigations, for example. Yeah.
1: Education uh, awareness training. Uh, I see it's big, big industry. This whole industry has been growing in past years after the GDPR coming into force.
0: Right. So perhaps data privacy consultants are making lots of money, but you know this isn't as good for small and medium-sized companies who are already squeezed.
1: Yeah. So in, in that sense, in that sense, only in that sense, the, uh, the Brexit is a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> one, of things, yeah, one, one of the good things perhaps Yeah, one of the good things not about the bad things but I'm just joking yeah.
0: it's interesting to look ahead to the future um, because we're already seeing some things at the pipeline uh, including a draft data security law published a few weeks ago um, and also there's going to be a personal information protection law coming out soon as well so from your perspective as someone who follows uh, you know, Chinese legal developments very closely what are the trends that you foresee?
1: Uh, it's really uh, hard to predict uh, to uh, how to say to give any predictions because yeah I I, I would say without a trade war okay so if everything go, had gone well uh, like before like two years ago then uh, we might have a very big robust uh, data protection uh, person data protection law yeah like the GDPR but uh, uh, yeah I think um, when they decoupling uh, when China decoupling with the US which is very very possible this economy will be the first thing, um, national security, right? And there are two big issues. Uh, but then the data protection of uh, privacy protection will be a second thing, second consideration for the government, right? So the China's legislation is more government-driven uh, uh, style. It's not the U.S., <laughs> promoted, yeah. So it is, doesn't have a, a large, a powerful uh, civil society. So that's that's a problem. So all government driven So the priority in the future two, three years at least will be economic growth. So uh, uh, I wrote an article uh, already, so it's going to be published soon, uh, mapping the uh, uh, powers, uh, powers uh, ma- mapping the shifting powers in China's data protection law development. So the so, this thing is okay. The government is number one, okay. Corporate power is number two, uh, civil society is number three. So, how the law goes, uh, how the future will be it depends on the uh, power dynamics uh, among the three. So, but but with the trade war, I do see that the collective uh, spirit will be going up and the, the comprehensive data protection law legislation will be postponed. That's uh, it's my prediction anyway. Uh, but I won't see that. Uh, I hope, hopefully, not so.
0: Alright, well, Bo, thank you very much for joining me today.
1: Uh, I want to thank you again for your invitation.
0: And thank you for listening to the China Law Podcast, a weekly discussion of China's business and financial sectors from a legal perspective. Make sure to check out our website Chinalawandpractice.com to keep up to date with the latest US-China legal and business news through our in-depth analyses, including contributions from our network of leading lawyers and in-house counsel, as well as full access to a searchable database of English full translations of PRC legislation going back 33 years trials are available, so do get in touch if you'd like one. We'll be back next week with another episode. Stay tuned, and thanks again for listening.